Hi, it's Paul Camillos. Welcome to Series 6 of Shooting the Breeze. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavind alongside the STB crew as we cover women's hoops and women in hoops. We'll share conversations and get a little deeper with inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends from behind the scenes. Especially in this series, we'll be talking to dream chasers that give it their all and lead with their heart. Definitely. And that's when it's fun. Like that's when, you know, everything's rolling, you know, no matter what the defense does, we're going to make the right read, do the right thing. And it just like the ball hops around and, and, you know, everyone touches it and you just get the best shot and you knock it down because I don't know, it's just really, really fun to be a part of. Welcome back to Shooting the Breeze. It's our first pod for Series 6, and in this episode, Townsville Fire reigning champ Michaela Roof is joining us. An understated post player, Michaela delivers high-value contributions. Her strong work ethic, combined with a genuine love of the game, makes her an invaluable team player. Rounding out her remarkable year, Michaela has finally become an Australian citizen. She's a Stanford NCAA Final Four player schooled in elite team play, an experience that has, in her words, helped me to become the player that I am. We take a fun little trip down memory lane, experimenting with some archival footage from her first professional year in Australia. As those who know her will appreciate, Michaela has a rapid-fire humour, so we're grateful to be able to share a glimpse into that side of her and her balancing act of laughter and fun with her steely competitiveness. Enjoy. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining me, my co-host Jacinta Gavind, and our guest today is newly minted Australian, Michaela Roof. Michaela, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So you've had a pretty big year when you really, yep. when we really sort of look back and think about it. You know, you've a championship with the fire, you know, a new home in your adopted home country. Yeah. What's it been like from your point of view? It's actually, it has been a really big year for me. I like, I made some New Year's resolutions this year. And I, for the past, like, I don't know, five, 10 years, I, my New Year's resolution was go to the dentist. And I think it started with that. I went to the dentist finally for the first time in 10 years. And then just like all these good things have been happening for me. I became a citizen. I bought a house, won a championship. Um, and I think it started with going to the dentist finally, you know, doing my New Year's re- resolutions. <laughs> Okay, so folks, if you want to turn your life around, first thing to do, go to the dentist. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose a lot of people would be wondering what the exercise of becoming a citizen was like for you, Um, you know, in between all the playing and and everything else that was going on, because I don't think it's a short process. No, it's definitely not. I think... um... When I, f- I first came over to Australia in 2014 to play in Sydney um, with the Flames, and the very first time I came here, I was like, I really love Australia. I want to come back. Um, and I think it was probably after my first um, Siebel season at the time that I was like, maybe I could like work on trying to come become a permanent resident. Um, and then when I looked into that, it was like a really long process. You had to get like sponsorship and all this stuff. But, I mean, I just kind of kept sticking around, sticking around until I finally, like, 
you know, had been playing as an import in the WNBL for three years, which is what Basketball Australia makes you do before they say that they'll, I don't not sponsor, but like write a recommendation letter for you to do, um, to become a permanent resident. So I did that in, I think right before COVID is when I, not right, I don't remember exactly, but um, before COVID is when I applied for that and it ended up coming through. And then, yeah, I think after that, it's just a matter of time that you spend in Australia before you can apply for your citizenship. And so I was able to do that this past uh, winter and, and then get it. Cool. Yeah. So the reigning champs, you had a really tight game the last game. I mean, one point, yeah. I know, yeah. You blew it. Well, actually, we didn't get. I didn't get to see the end of the game. Oh, yeah. They conveniently cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you guys organised it. No, not us. <laughs> um, you got some interesting new members to the roster. I mean, i got to say, one of the ones that surprised me was getting Sammy Whitcomb to Townsville. Yeah. And, you know, having Al Finnick up there as well, how's it all starting to gel with the team? Well, I think with any team, it takes time. Like, I think we do have, you know, some returning players, but it's only four people from our roster from last year. So there, it was a lot integrating all the new people. And I think we're still trying to figure that out. Um, but, you know, like with Alice and with Sammy, they're, you know, professionals. They've been playing for a really long time. So they know how to adjust. And it it's, takes time, but I, I'm confident that we'll get there. What about those rookies? How are those rookies uh, faring up so far at the Townsville Fire? Pretty good, I think. Um, we got a couple of young girls uh, with uh, Saffron. She's really, um, she's going to be an amazing player. I think she'll be a WNBA player for sure, um, as, as long as she can stay healthy and keep. And I think she's chosen coming to Townsville was really smart, coming to play for um, Shannon and learn from him. But, yeah, she's going to be really, really good. And I'm excited to watch her career, like, blossom. I mean, second season at the Fire. And as you said, there's been a lot of change. So I suppose that means that you're really part of the leadership team there now. I guess. I don't, maybe age is part of that too. I'm, I'm one of the oldest. Um, but I think, you know, with the way that our team is, I think everybody um, is confident to be in like a semi-leadership position, you know, whether that be via actions or via voice or what whatnot. I think everybody knows and respects enough, each other enough to um, – you know, listen to what needs to be said or do what needs to be done. And I guess if you want to say that I'm a leader, then I am. <laughs> I think the, the young ones are scared of me, so I guess that makes me a leader. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay, i got to ask, why would they be scared of you? Oh, I think it's because I, I don't know. I guess I can come off a bit, I guess, abrasive, but I just try, I, I'm a bit direct probably when I shouldn't. I don't like to fluff around, so I just kind of get straight to the point, and maybe that can um, scare them a bit. But I think they know it's all in, like, good. I'm just well, – I want the best for them and the best for our team. So, I don't know. They're scared of me, but then not really. They make fun of me as well. So, it's a good good balance. <laughs> I, I think you're certainly a player who leads by example. You're really good, whether you're starting or coming off the bench, of injecting some energy, getting on loose balls and rebounds, you know, Good luck to anyone who has to scout you and guard you any day of the week. Uh, but you as a player, what's your personal preference? Do you prefer to lead by example and action or with words? Oh, definitely example because I'm really bad at words. It's never been my strong suit. I did engineering in school. I like numbers. So words aren't for me. Um, and I think it's easier to lead by 
um, example and with action than, you know, trying to talk. <laughs> well, engineering's a pretty black and white kind of thing too, you know, get to the point, no fluffing around. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that, that makes sense in uh, your preference or default setting and just getting to the point of things. Yep. Okay, I want to jump around a little bit to something. Let's go to the Wayback Machine for a bit. The Wayback Yeah, you know, you, you know, I'm not sure how many people are aware, but you were part of the women's basketball program at Stanford, and you played on a pretty spectacular team. You had some really interesting teammates, and uh, you guys made some real big inroads into the NCAA finals. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I, I went to college for five years because I had a redshirt year. So I played on um, five teams from 2009, I think, till 2014. My freshman year, I came in and I Jane Appel was our, you know, marquee player. Um, I think she ended up being draft, drafted third or second or something in the WNBA draft. Um, so, you know, she's a post player that I learned a lot from in my freshman year. And then obviously, Neka Agumake and Chanea Agumake, I played with them as well, both amazing basketball players, phenomenal athletes, and just like really good people as well. So, yeah, we went to the final four, uh, four out of five years I was there, which is pretty impressive. <laughs> I think, um, I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't know anybody else that, you know, have, has gone to four final fours. So, I mean, other than like, I don't know, Brianna Stewart or whatever. But, um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I had a really successful career in Stanford. My teams, I didn't play a lot all the my five years. In my fifth year, I did. In my fourth year, I did. But when I was a freshman and stuff, I learned, you know, the role of coming off the bench and then, you know, cheering for your teammates and then slowly stepped up into a starting role. So I feel like I've been through all of the, I guess, roles that you could have on a team from starter to, you know, down into the bench that doesn't really get on. So I feel like, I don't know, that's helped me in my career to become the player that I am. Okay, now there was a game, and I know because somewhere we've actually got the video evidence of this, there was a game where you guys were playing in your hometown in the US, yeah. and the whole team went to your My house. your house. Was it yeah. Thanksgiving? Yep, that's right. That's right. And a couple of players there came up with a little song about a tree that got video recorded. Jeez, what was it? I something. I think it was something about. I, th I think it was. If my memory serves, it was Joss and Chennai. Okay. And it was something about the beaver tree. Oh, geez. <laughs> oh, I just I remember I remember that trip. I really really loved that trip, but I I don't remember that bit. I remember going to my high school and our team training at my high school, which was really surreal and then everyone coming over to thanksgiving dinner at my house but i also didn't play in that game i was injured so i was so disappointed because all of my family and friends came you know to we were playing xavier they came down to the game and i didn't get to play because i had like a quad injury or something like that i just i'd pulled my quad like the week before so but it was a great trip and i don't remember that song <laughs> But if you have video recording, I would love to see it. Yeah, I've got I've got it somewhere in the archives, and we'll we'll we'll, okay. we'll dredge it out. Um, oh, but I'm kind of I'm kind of curious because it was obvious on that video because they did shoot some footage at your home. Yeah, right. You guys seem to be having a really great time, and, and as a as a team, you guys seem to be really really tight, mm -hmm. and that came across in the footage that they took on the plane, and also at your house. How tight was that team? Well, I, I think that's one of the best things about college. You know, you're, you're there when you go, you kind of like go for, 
well, I don't know how it is anymore with the whole transfer portal or whatever, but you go for four years. So you create these amazing friendships with these girls that you, you see them three hours a day, every day, the entire year. So they become like more than just, you know, friends that are your and more than just teammates, they're basically family, you know? And I think I still have really strong relationships with a lot of the girls that I played with. And I still, you know, keep in touch with them because I think, I don't know, you just form a bond going through a similar experience and yeah, they know, they know what it's like, you know, what it's like you go through ups and you go through downs with them. And I think, I think that's really what makes college basketball such a, I don't know, rewarding experience. And how did you find when you finished the whole college period, how did you find sort of getting out of college and taking that next step? That must have been a, like a really big change. It was It was definitely a big change. I remember like now, now that I'm like far removed from college, I couldn't imagine. I, I would hate going back to college. But I remember my first like year, couple of years out, I didn't know what to do with myself. Like I, I missed all my seeing all of my friends every single day. It was really funny. I remember my first year when I was playing in Sydney and we were training like, I don't know, three times a week or whatever. I remember going up to Shannon and saying, Shannon, like, what, like, why aren't we training very much? And he's like, I think you're the first player ever that's asked, why don't we have more training? Um, but I just, I didn't know what to do with myself. I missed, I missed all my friends. I missed, um, you know, the ease, not easy college wasn't easy, but like the, I guess, schedule that you had that, you didn't have to like fill time with random things and stuff like that. So I just, it was a very hard adjustment, but after about, I would say three or four years when all the girls that I had played with were then graduated as well. That's when I really realized like, okay, I don't want to go back to college. I'm really enjoying this, you know, professional thing, doing my own thing. I definitely slept a lot more after um, I graduated from college. And being in Sydney wouldn't be a bad place to be either, considering that was what your first professional season out of, like you said, a very regimented routine and schedule of college life. So uh, plenty of things to do in Sydney. So did you eventually find ways to fill in your spare time and um, enjoy being a tourist a little bit? Yeah, definitely. I really loved being in Sydney. I thought it was awesome. I was so scared to drive in Sydney. Um, but luckily I got uh, like an Opal card or whatever. And I was on the public transit. It was super, super easy. But yeah, I got around. And I was also back when um, the Kings were playing. They were playing like in the city. So we could go. I can't remember what the venue was, but we could go like take any bus like right across the street. And it went into downtown. We could go to their games, went to the opera house visited the zoo. Uh, yeah, I did. a. There was always something happening in, in Sydney. So that was a really good place to be when I was bored because I could always find something to do. And good decision uh, not to drive in Sydney because I've grown up here nearly my whole life and I only live, you know, 90 minutes north of Sydney. And I still don't drive in Sydney if I don't have to because it's yeah. chaos. It's all <laughs> it's, chaos. It's very scary. And I remember I shared a car with the other import that year and um, she had played QBL or something the season before. So she'd been in Australia a little bit. So she'd done the driving, but I was coming straight from college. So I was straight from the other side of the road and I was driving like in Sydney and I was like hugging the the curb lane, you know, and she was like sitting in the, in the chair, like pushing, like trying to push the car away from the parked cars along the side of the road. And I was like, <laughs> okay, yep. That's enough driving for me. <laughs> now, Talking about the other import, yeah, and I'm gonna. I'm trying this for the first time. 
I want to go back and show you a little bit of footage that we've got from way back in the day. Um, Michaela's blushing. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it, it's a, your screen's at least popping up and trying to share, so that's a good sign. Yep, it's trying. It's a little bit slow. Oh, my God. At least I'm saying. And hopefully you should also get the audio out of this. I'll get back to that one. Okay. You look so different, though, back then. Yeah, I was much tanner and I was a bit, bit chubbier. <laughs> Fresh out of college. I mean, yeah. you can't yeah. be too hard on yourself. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I remember you and Paris got on really, really well. Yeah. How did you guys find, the, you know, both of you coming to Sydney for the first time, how did you feel about, you know, this brand new city? Yeah, I think, you know, she was she was a really good first, like, import, I guess, to be with because she was super keen to get out and explore and, and do fun things. And so we were kind of like, you know, two peas in a pod. We'd go exploring together and adventuring. And I think, I don't know, I felt lucky playing with her because she was such a good personality and, and we really got along and wanted to hang out together and see and do fun things. So I think it really made my Sydney experience much better being with her. So how did you guys find the whole experience of play in Sydney? Because it would have been really different to anything you'd experienced in the States. Yeah, definitely. I think, well, I just had no idea what professional basketball was like, to be honest. I was like, I don't know. I just came out. I did, I wasn't a professional my first year. I still felt like I was in college. I still, I partied probably too much. I didn't, I wasn't very responsible. I didn't eat the right things. I didn't, uh, I mean, I did do extra shooting and stuff like that, but I, I still just felt like I was, you know, doing it for fun. And it wasn't until like towards the end of the season, I actually, I broke my finger doing something stupid, like not basketball related. And then I, that's when I realized, oh, this is my job. And like, I've just, you know, I could lose my job because I was dumb and broke my finger not doing my job. So it wasn't until the end of the season, my first season out, that I realized like, oh, like you should be a bit more professional. And uh, I don't know, good lessons. <laughs> Did you feel like your college experience prepared you well enough for what it was like to be a professional? Uh, I think parts of it did. I think um, – I think the best thing that I learned in college was it's not about you. So it was, it was more like, it doesn't matter how well you play. Like it's more how your team plays. So even if I have a crap game, like I'm not going to have bad body language, you know, if our team wins by 30, I'm happy because we won. And I think that's the biggest thing that I learned in college. I don't know. I, the, the other parts, like I wasn't super prepared for like in college, the, shot clock and all the the way the game was played it was much slower um we got a lot more rests that's why i was fat <laughs> so those things i wasn't necessarily prepared for for the um the professional thing but i think the biggest thing that it taught me was you know that it's bigger than you you know team success is way more important than personal success and speaking of uh different styles of play as well did shannon prepare you enough for the differences between what you're used to at stanford to WNBL and Australian style play where we like to run a lot more and uh, yeah with a thankfully a much shorter shot clock because I don't think I could ever go back to a 30 second shot clock. 
No, 30 seconds is way too long. Way too long. Even, and then with the new shot clock reset where it just goes to 14 on an O board, that's way better too. I couldn't imagine having to play another whole 30 seconds after an O board. It would really, you know, make you not want to give up any O boards. But yeah, I think he did a good job. You know, like we ran a lot in training. We we got up and down. But yeah, I still think it wasn't until the end of the season when I ended up getting injured that I realized like I wasn't in great shape. Um, I wasn't doing the right things outside of basketball to get myself in better shape. So I think it was a bit of Shannon helping me and a bit of, you know, making my own mistakes and then realizing that I had to be better. So what were some of those uh, things after you had that kind of realization and, and time to reflect with your broken finger? What were some of the first things you wanted to implement to turn yourself around a little bit or, or to improve, I should say? Um, well, well, first I started doing extra conditioning with our strength and conditioning coach because I wasn't able to train. So that was one big thing that was, and then I changed my diet a bit. I stopped eating so much sugar. <laughs> you know, those little, I don't know if they still have them, but like the little, um, Cadbury elves that have like the popping candy that you can get at like Christmas time. Anyways, those were my favorite. And I like discovered those my first year here and we bought like, it would have been like 30 bags of them. And so we had them. <laughs> anyways i was eating way too many of those and i realized maybe i should maybe i should stop doing that and then just you know like going out on the weekends and stuff like that i realized you know like if i wanted to be better that i should cut that out or at least you know like control myself and not get to a point where i'm doing dumb things because i'm you know intoxicated or whatever so yeah the biggest change was probably my diet i started eating a lot better and, and then i was able to get um in much better shape and a finger injury is pretty cruel. It's end of the season because you guys, you made the final that season or did yeah. you win that season? No, we didn't win. We we made the finals. I missed the last regular season game. I think we had, we had to play Townsville and beat them. And Townsville was the team that ended up winning it all that year. We had to beat them to make finals. And I was injured for that last game. And I just remember like kicking myself because I was starting at the time. And I was like, oh my gosh, our team's going to like struggle. And we ended up winning that game, made it to finals. And then we played um, Dan and Ong in the first round of finals. They had Penny Taylor on their team and Kathy Pondexter. Mm -hmm. And that was my first game back after my injury. So I came back and was able to play in that and helped us win that game. And then we lost the following game to Bendigo with Kelly Wilson. And I, I'm not sure if Kelsey Griffin was on that. I think she must have been on that team. And I think Bendigo played Townsville in the final and then Townsville won. So... But yeah, finger injuries yeah. are so annoying because the rest of your body is fine and ready to go and your brain's still working, but obviously you need your fingers for, like, it's not like an injury you can kind of fake or get away with, especially a broken finger because it's going to be in so many situations where it's at risk of getting worse. Yeah, definitely. I, I wanted to come back um, for that final game, that Townsville game, but uh the doctors and physios kept me out just because they're like, it would be silly to risk it because it wasn't you know, healed enough, but you know, it happened. We, we got through it. We won. It was all good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, hopefully you should be able, I can't show you the video and the audio. So hopefully you'll get the audio this time from that video clip. Okay. All right. After basketball, what do you see yourself doing? Well, I always wanted to be a trophy wife, <laughs> but if that doesn't happen or it could happen. <laughs> That's so embarrassing. <laughs> I still want to be a trophy. You still want to be a trophy wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. 
you ever see the you know you ever get those facebook memories you know from like 12 years ago whatever that pop up and you're just like oh my gosh i was so embarrassing 12 years ago you don't reshare them because you're like that's so embarrassing and you just think like oh gosh what a loser yeah but see this is this is where I, i've got one more clip to show you and this one i'll show you the video first and then i'll play the audio and this has not been seen since the claims year-end function that year in fact, okay. Jacinta's the first person who will actually get to see it that was not at that function. Okay. Um, what's your, what has been your best performance? That's the question. I don't really know. I'm not going to elaborate. What has been my best performance? Yep. <laughs> In basketball? <laughs> oh. Just says, I just, other places. Do you act? <laughs> Have you been in theater? <laughs> no, I wasn't talking about that. <laughs> oh, goodness. Now, see, to me, right, you were pretty quick on your feet when we were shooting that. Yeah. And you, you, you milked that one for all it was worth as well. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> oh, goodness. They're trying to make me a TikTok star up here. I, I hate it. I just, <laughs> I'm not for the camera. No, see, that, that was the whole thing. I mean, you really were one of the jokers of the team that year, yeah. right? I remember, you know, you, you were always keeping everybody, you know, laughing and keeping everybody up, even in, in situations where, you know, things weren't working quite the way it was supposed to. How do you get yourself in that frame of mind to be able to try and, and do that for other people in the team? Well, it's actually really funny because I think this is something like, as a younger player and i remember in college getting in trouble all the time for never being serious and i it always bugged me because i thought there's a time for serious and there's a time for like joking and i just because i'm joking around doesn't mean i'm not serious and i think but i think i struggled at a younger age of knowing when to like switch on and you know stop the joking around but i i've always played basketball because I love it. And I think it's super fun and I love hanging out with my friends. And I think it's a good time to just like joke and have a good time, but at the same time, you can still work hard. And so that's just kind of how I've tried to always play, I guess, enjoy what I'm doing, but try really hard while I'm doing it. And I think as I've gotten older, I've definitely learned the balance of the joking and the, the being serious. But I think, you know, basketball should be fun. So why not, you know, have a laugh? It looks like you're having fun when you're playing as well because you get on every loose ball, every rebound, you know, you're in the huddle and uh, in the, uh, this is like a compliment. You get animated, you know, with your teammates. You're like, yeah, let's do this, let's do this. Like, so it looks like you are having fun. Yeah. But it's interesting that you said you learnt the balance between the two and the importance of having the balance between the two when you were quite young. Where do you, yeah. where do you think that came from? Because it's a pretty mature skill to have, I think. Well, I don't, I didn't actually learn it. I didn't learn it that young. I think I learned it as I've aged. I think I struggled with it a bit at college and my coaches were on me about it. So, I mean, I still, even when I'm serious, I'm still having fun, but I just think like there's times to show, you know, the joking around the having fun and there's times to, you know, not so much. So I don't know. I just, I think it just takes experience and, you know, getting yelled at a lot to, <laughs> to figure it out. So, I suppose we've got to get back to basketball for a bit. Yeah. Um, you're back with Coach Shannon. Yeah. And it's been a while since, you know, you mm -hmm. first played with him as your as your head coach. How do you see Shannon's changed over time as a coach and how he's developed? 
Well, I always think that he's been really, really good with X's and O's and just like his understanding of the game. I think I never questioned that from, you know, the first time I played with him. But I think one thing that he did struggle with my first year and his first year um, coaching was, you know, holding everyone to account. He was really quick to tell me what I would mess up um, or when some of the younger players would mess up or the not as good players would mess up. But he was more hesitant to coach the, you know, the the best players like the lays and the Katie's that were on our team that year. And I think he was a bit nervous because he was a young coach and, you know, they were really great players, but I've found, and I think the best players, and I'm sure Katie and lay are like that, that the best players want to be coached. They want to know when they're messing up so that they can fix that and become even better. And I think that's one thing that Shannon has developed in his, you know, time coaching in the league is how to, hold everyone to account, not just, you know, the younger players, but the star players as well. I think, you know, people respect him and players respect him because he, he does do that. And I find that when a coach holds everyone to account, you know, the number 10 or 12 player and the number one to the same standard, I think that's where everyone buys in and everyone really respects what the coach is doing and realizes that, you know, he just cares about the team success and he doesn't play favorites, I guess. It, and then it cultivates such a, a, a much more positive and fairer team culture as well. Like you yeah. talk about you treat 1 to 12 the same and, and all the players are going to have that buy-in. When you start to see those little hints of favoritism, whether it's uh, intentional or not, but when people aren't being treated fairly, yeah. uh, that's when you're going to have those undercurrents of tension, I think, and, and your team chemistry is going to be really restricted. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think I've I've played on teams where, you know, coaches have played a bit of favorites and it does, it creates like a bit of, you know, clicks in the team, you know, where some people are like, well, they, they always treat me bad or, you know what I mean? So I think, you know, treating everybody like and holding them to the same standard, you know, does away with those things and helps build a stronger bond in the team, I guess. Now, looking down the down the road a little bit, how do you think this WNBL season's going to pan out? Because I think one of the things that surprised everybody is is the results we've seen over the first couple of rounds. Um, yeah. From your perspective, and I know it's it's real crystal ball gazing stuff. How do you think this season's going to roll out? Uh, I don't know. It's very interesting. I think a lot of teams had, you know, pre-seasons with people in and out. We did especially. But I think, you know, like UC Sydney, they have – key players out. Melbourne has key players out. I think everyone's had a bit of a disjointed preseason where people either haven't arrived on time or there's been injuries and things like that. So to be honest, I think like the quality of play these first couple of rounds has not been very high, but I think that's a result of having these preseasons that are a bit disjointed. So I think as the season goes, you'll start to see teams, you know, get their full team back and start to gel and and I think the the quality of play will improve. And then, of course, we're going to win. <laughs> and okay, on, on that basis, who do you think is going to be your biggest threat? Oh goodness, it's tough. It depends on like injuries mainly. I think. I think Melbourne showed that they're very like they're they're a tough team to play, and they they don't even have their full squad yet. I think Sydney, if they can get all their full squad together. They're going to be very tough. So, yeah, I don't know. I think anybody, like, it just it just depends on if people can get healthy and stay healthy. And 
honestly, like there's never a season where every single player stays healthy on every single team. So I, I think anybody can beat anybody on any given night. So just, I think you can't take anybody lightly. And, and nearly every team have had pretty major roster changes as well compared to last season. So yeah, definitely adding the, the late arrivals, the very early injuries and some people, you know, getting injured last minute, pulling out last minute and big roster changes. It kind of makes it exciting for us as fans because it's just adds that other layer of unpredictability. But I imagine for players a season in season out, uh, you know, you mentioned before that you're one of four of the fire from that laugh from last year's season. I imagine it would be a little bit um, turbulent sometimes. Yeah. I think, I think it's just like hard to build that chemistry without playing together. So I think teams that do have a large returning portion of their roster have a foot up automatically. But like you said this year, I don't think they're like most teams are very, very different than what they were last year. So that's why I think that there's been this bit of a unpredictability going on so far. It's also seemed to me that, and we say that, I mean, we say this every season, but it seems to me that the intensity on the floor has ratcheted up, you know, yet again from last season and people are playing harder and tougher um yeah from your perspective as a player how are you and particularly over these first couple of rounds how have you found that yeah i think we're like people are playing everyone plays really really hard but then like not necessarily well and so i think like that's what's been happening with us like everyone's tra- like training yesterday oh my gosh it was it was it was tough like everyone was going so hard and we were dribbling the ball off our foot or like the ball was just sliding through the hands and stuff. And it's just like, it's so, I was saying to one of my teammates, like, it's so frustrating to try so hard and suck so bad. So I think it's just like, yes, the intensity is there, but I think people just need to slow down and, you know, just like everyone's trying really hard, but once the execution like picks up, then I think that's when we're going to have really good basketball. So the intensity's there. Now we just need everyone's execution to pick up. And I think, yeah, you'll start to see much more entertaining games. I think that's uh, happened in a couple of games in the rounds we've had as well where people, you can sense the tension where people are like, we need to get a score or we need to do this. And then they want to think playing harder means going faster, but then going too fast means you're going to make mistakes. And what you actually want to do, like get a score, you're actually further away from that goal because you're a little bit too manic. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I can't remember what my coach, like there's a coach that said, play quick but don't hurry and i think like that's the goal but like easier said than done right what does that mean <laughs> like that's a really good saying i like that saying yeah play quick but don't hurry yeah yeah i mean one of the games over the weekend the, the flames game in the third quarter it seemed that that's exactly what was happening people were trying to push just a little bit too hard and they were just a little bit out of sync with each other and also when they were trying to get the ball out quickly it was also just slightly out of sync. And that seems to be something that, that's been apparent across a lot of teams at the beginning of this season. Yeah. And particularly one, like Canberra with their run and gun style, right? Yeah. It's starting to gel, but you kind of wonder, like for all the teams, when's it all going to fall into place? Yeah. I, yeah. And I, that's, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that to happen with our teams. I wanted to, but there's, it's a process. Like it doesn't happen overnight. Like you have to keep working. You have to bring that game intensity into training. And then only when you're training at that intensity regularly, can you start to like 
iron out the, you know, wrinkles and the mistakes and, but you have to bring that intensity every single day to realize that like, if we want to, you know, play well and execute in a game, then our trainings need to simulate the game and be at the game intensity and all that stuff. And I think, you know, after our loss on the weekend, our team, you know, started to realize that. So hopefully, hopefully no more losses for the rest of the year. (laughs) But to be fair, last season, you know, Townsville were very competitive throughout the whole season. Yeah. Um, but you certainly didn't show that your true potential and dominance until the back end of the season where everything just clicked. It got to the point in the season and even in the final series where your half-court execution was so good it was scary because at that, at that point you're like, no one's going to beat this team. And yeah. so, like you said, it's, a, I guess, a matter of trusting the process and I guess hoping that you can get to that same point this season as you did last season. Yeah, definitely. And that's when it's fun. Like that's when, you know, everything's rolling, you know, no matter what the defense does, we're going to make the right read, do the right thing. And it just like the ball hops around and, and, you know, everyone touches it and you just get the best shot and you knock it down because I don't know, it's just really, really fun to be a part of. And I'm waiting for that to happen again this year. I'm just wondering also, just want to go back to the NCAA for a second. Things have yeah. changed a lot. Have you been keeping yeah. up with all the changes that have been happening in the NCAA over the last, well, since you, you you know stopped playing in the... Yeah. I've been keeping up with a bit, the whole transfer portal and all the NIL deals and all. I think some of it's good for the game. I think some of it's bad. Like, I was really, really happy that they changed game, like the rules of the game, like going down to the 15-second shot clock reset um, they cha- when I was in college, we played two 20-minute halves. They've changed it to now four 10-minute quarters where you shoot the bonus at five fouls. Like I think changing the rules like that to suit the international style so that you can make that transition is really good. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about the like transfer portal and NIL deals and stuff like that. I think, I don't know, it, it doesn't create that we-before-me mentality that I, I think I learned in college. So... I don't know. I think some things are good and I think some things are bad. That's an interesting take about that that whole we before me mentality. Yeah. Do you want to just expand on that a little bit? Because I'm kind of, I'm really curious. Yeah. Well, I just, I think like what, like, for example, when I was in college, I don't think anyone had ever transferred out like from Stanford. Like, why would you transfer from Stanford? It's the best, you know, school in the country, like academically. Um, but now with the transfer portal, you know, if girls aren't playing or not getting as many minutes as they expect, they just go to a, another team where the coach makes a promise that they're going to play. And I think it really just, I mean, I don't know, there's good and bad. Like you want people to have opportunity to show their skills and, and improve in games and stuff like that. But I think, I don't know, I think it just takes that bit of grind out of the game where, you know, like I didn't play my first two years in college, but instead of like up and going to a different school, I, I worked really, really hard in the off season and, you know, waited for my opportunity. And then when I got it, you know, I kind of like grabbed it by the horns type of thing. And I think now with the transfer portal and all that stuff, kids, if they're freshman year, they don't get on the court. They're like, nah, I'm going to a different school. So I think you kind of don't build the same resilience that you do when, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to say. I don't want to like down it, say it's a bad thing because I think it is helping some, you know, some kids, but I think that resilience and that helped me build resilience when I was in school. So I'm just not sure that, you know, that's happening still. No, I think that's a very valid uh, perspective of that because I guess 
typically sometimes you or, I mean it's easier when you're older and you can see the younger generations always getting it a little bit easier than what you had it and you still want people to kind of have to work for their spot and work for their minutes on the court it shouldn't just be an entitlement or a given that you're going to get minutes yeah. and I see what you mean when you don't get minutes as a freshman so instead of going back in the off season like you said and saying hey coach what do I need to work on to contribute more to the team to get us more wins to get me on the court more and then go away and work on it it's almost like everything comes a little bit too easy if you just transferred to another school and you can kind of get everything that you ask for without having to work. So I certainly see that that side of it. I also do see the other side of it, though, that um, depending on the coaching style and the school and the system that the coach wants to put in, or I've seen a lot of people transfer in the last few years, Aussie athletes included, because the coach has changed. So they've signed up with one college under one coach they insist and they really liked, and then that's changed. And they're like, oh, this isn't going to work for me, so they've transferred. But, yeah, I think that's still a really good point to make. Yeah, I think I think the, in in those instances, it's like definitely fair. Like if you sign to go to a school and then, and then the coach goes to another school, like you shouldn't be held. Like so, I think th- that's definitely something that's a positive out of it. So yeah, there's positives and negatives. Yeah. And what do you make of all this? I find it very confusing. So I haven't really paid much attention to college properly uh, until the last couple years. And I certainly had to get some tutoring about the whole thing from some of our close friends because it just confuses me sometimes. And now a whole bunch of teams have left one conference and gone to another conference. And initially I was like, well, isn't your conference just kind of like where you live in your area because America is massive and you don't want to have to keep flying across the country just for your away games. But uh, apparently not if you can just move conferences. No, it's, it's about money. It's about the like TV deals and things like that. I think most conferences, like most schools choose what conference they're going to be in based on their football team. I don't know a lot about it, but I know it's a lot about like the TV deals and the money because the bigger conferences have better, you know, TV deals. And so each college that's in that conference gets a bigger amount of money than if they're in a smaller um, conference and things like that. And like I said, the football at most schools is like the moneymaker. So I think that's what drives what conference you're in most of the time. Yeah. That's, which is that's kind of been really, it has been really interesting watching that. Like I I was reading that one of the schools is going to end up traveling like, 21,000 miles or something stupid over the, the length of the season, which just sounds yeah. – that's that's madness. It's silly. It's really silly. It should be based on, you know, geography, but it's not – I don't know. I guess they think traveling so easy now and everyone could fly first class and charter flights and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. <laughs> Now, speaking of money talking, we've heard yeah. that you're a, a fan of Jeopardy. Oh, yeah, of course. It's a great show. <laughs> what is it about Jeopardy that you like? Oh, the trivia. I love trivia. So, like, there's trivia on a Wednesday up here that I make my team, like, my teammates go to. When I was in Canberra, I made everybody go to trivia. I just think, I don't know, it's like a, <laughs> a an opportunity to showcase your useless knowledge that you have, you know? So, <laughs> I, I don't know. I've always watched it. I've always enjoyed it. When I was really, really young, I was terrible at it. And now I find myself, I can answer, you know, a lot of the questions when Jeopardy's on and I'm like, oh, am I, am I getting smarter? Am I getting older or a combination of both? So I don't know. I just love trivia. I think it's Have great. you ever, oh, sorry, go on. 
no, I was no, just going to ask, have you ever thought about entering? Uh, I have, but then, like, you know when you're doing something, like you're watching someone do something, you're like, oh, it's so easy, and then you do it yourself, and then it's, like, really, really not easy, and I don't want everyone to think that I'm an idiot. <laughs> like, one of the people that are on, on Jeopardy, and they, like, finish in the negative after one round, and they get kicked off, and you're like, oh, what an idiot. Why would that person even come on? When really, they probably watch at home and do better than I do when I'm watching it at home. And then it's just like much, yeah. So I've thought about it, but I don't want to embarrass myself. <laughs> I have a similar story to share, actually. Uh, so I also really like trivia, but being yeah. competitive as well, you've got to check yourself when you go to trivia because you don't want to like annoy everyone else in your team by getting overly competitive. But you are always right. I don't but... mind annoying everyone on the team. <laughs> okay. I'm not taking it on a different team. <laughs> But I, um, so have you watched the show on ABC called Hard Quiz? Uh, no. So hard, hard Quiz, you might like Hard Quiz. It is a trivia-esque type show where people will go on and have their expert topic and they get, you know, double amount of points if they get all those ones, whatever. But then there's a general knowledge round and anyway, it's essentially a game show like trivia. And Hard Quiz went on the road. They took it on the road and uh, did live performances in theatres across the country. And one time I was in, very recently I was in Melbourne, a friend of mine works for Tom Gleason, the host's uh, agency, and they were doing a rehearsal of Hard Quiz. And so I got to be a contestant on the rehearsal of Hard Quiz, so almost like a simulation of the real thing. And just like you, I would be like, oh, that looks so easy, I'd smash it. I, it was a rehearsal in front of 10 people yeah. and I was the most nervous and scared and like dissociated I have been in my life. It was frightening and it was only a rehearsal. So you, yeah. I think you're right. If you go on Jeopardy, <laughs> I would get stage fright for sure. It's a different kind of mind game. It's stage fright. It's total stage fright. I ended up winning though by, uh, an absolute fluke, but um, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, but it was a total fluke. Smash the general knowledge part. That's what got me over the line. Yeah, but the stage fright will will get you more than having to play in the WNBL Grand Finals. <laughs> yeah, I I find the interviews. You know, if they pick like if they pick you for the interviews like post game or at halftime, I get more nervous during those than I do in the game. I hate talking. Like I just don't like being like public speaking or anything like that, no matter how many, how many times I put myself through it or like put myself out there and try to get better at it. I just get so nervous and speak so fast and like have like a quiver in my voice. It's just, it's not for me. Basketball's for me. Talking's not for me. <laughs> Makes me, it just, just hearing you two talking about how competitive you are at trivia it just makes me wonder what it would be like to run some sort of WNBL edition of a trivia game show. Well, I would definitely win. <laughs> <laughs> did you, but who did the trivia at the, uh, at the WNBL awards earlier in the year? Who went up from your team? Because well, we there was one, they did it last year at the, the WNBL awards. And I, I went up, I was so excited for it, but I kept like, it was rigged. <laughs> they didn't, there wasn't like a real, like, there wasn't a buzzer. First, there wasn't like a real person doing the judging. So like, I felt like, I was kept raising my hand and getting ignored. I knew all the answers, but they didn't pick me. <laughs> it was chaotic. It was it so was chaotic. chaotic. You know, I think that if they're going to do it again, they need to be much better. Otherwise, I'm going to put in a full. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Michaela, it's been great having you on the show. 
it's been great talking to you again because it's been years since I've spoken to you going back to the days when you were here with the Flames. And contrary to what you were saying, I think you've been great here as a guest just talking about stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it has been great having you on the show and really a lot of fun. Good luck with the rest of the season. Good luck with your Wednesday night trivias. And keep in touch. We'd like to know how you're going with those trivia competitions. Yeah, I'll let you know. (laughs) (laughs) I posted on social media. We won like a month or so ago, and I was – I think I was more excited than when when we won the championships last year. (laughs) (laughs) What was the prize for winning a meat tray? It was a $100 voucher to the restaurant that it was at. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was so good. I would prefer uh, a voucher for food sometimes than actual money. Yeah, same. Yeah. Because, like, let's be real, that's what I spend my money on anyway. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Uh, Thanks for having me. I I enjoyed it. It's easier, you know, one-on-one I'm good. Don't put me in the crowd. (laughs) (laughs) That's my best. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.